0: Welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have a great one for you tonight. As I mentioned many times over the years, how I believe that Ariel, the Ariel phenomena, school phenomenon or incident, whatever you want to say, back in 1994, I believe it as the most incredible, credible case with those school children. And I have Gunter, who arrived pretty early on in the scene uh, with uh, Cynthia Hines. He's going to be on with us tonight. Our blog this week is UFOs over Mushells, Scotland uh, by Charles Lear. Those are made into an audio blog as well. You can see them here on our channel. And as I mentioned last week um, at the end of the show, that if you've had um, a, a really uh, incredible UFO sighting, please do get a hold of me. I'd like to uh, start doing those 15-minute or so or less clips on Just Encounters. And you get a hold of me at martin at podcastufo.com. And I think I'm about ready. I do want to thank everyone that uh, supports the show. Anyone can do that. And that information's uh, over at Patreon or podcastufo.com right there on our website. And here he is, Gunter. Welcome to the show. Hello,
1: Martin. Nice to meet you guys. And I hope, um, you know. We have a fantastic evening today. Uh, really a pleasure to be on your show and um, greetings to all the people who are watching today.
0: Yes. Thank you, uh, Gunter. So, Gunter, you've had a very amazing career because as soon as you really got into the UFO topic, you jumped right in and you were involved right away. And I see, is this your photography behind you that I'm looking at?
1: Yes. Uh, what are, What's behind me is my astrophotography. Uh, it's just a hobby of mine that I That's do. That's
0: beautiful. Wow. Yeah, very, very nice. And uh, so do you ever do you ever display that anywhere, like on a website or anything like that?
1: Yes, I do. I have a website called uh, gehofer.com.
0: Ah, OK. All right. Well, I hope people visit it because of these are really incredible images. So I want to ask you, first of all, what got you interested in the topic of UFOs to begin with?
1: Well, it, be like, it started out in my teen years when my father was reading uh, Cynthia's book, this one here, yeah, uh, Af- African Encounters, which people may know about. And um, I just saw it on the bookshelf, and I picked it up, and uh, you know, it caught my imagination and my interest because these were—it wasn't like a science fiction book. These were real events that Cynthia was. Investigating in southern Africa, basically Zimbabwe, South Africa, that region. And um, obviously, I started reading more into it. And then um, one day, I had a more personal event happen when I was reading a UFO book, and my grandmother spotted me reading. You know, I was just sitting down on the table reading. And she said, I saw one of those things. And I said, what do you mean you saw one of these things? And she said, oh, in 1968, uh, she saw um, what looked like two soup plates inverted over each other, which is a typical disc-shaped object mm-hmm. um, in a town called, um, where was it? Sipolilo in, in north. That's the northwest of Zimbabwe. She had a little shop there, she said, in 1968. And at that time, there was, in a bit of civil war in Zimbabwe. Um, that time it was called Rhodesia. And uh, they saw a light in the distance. She was closing the shop up and the security guard mm-hmm. with her saw this light in the distance approaching them. And she thought, oh, maybe it was a helicopter or airplane because of the war going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as it got closer, she was a bit puzzled because there was no sound and when it got really close she saw it was a very unusual shape it was a black disc-like object with a very intense bright light underneath it and it seemed to be coming like if to come down to land not far from them virtually at tree height uh, probably 100 feet away or less Um, and the people in the village where she was staying started getting excited because they had never seen an object like this. So they started shouting and pointing and all that. And suddenly the object just took off at, I don't know, 45 degrees and shot off at an extreme rate of speed and disappeared.
0: Hmm, That sounds like a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. So that must've shocked you. I mean, do you're- do you Yeah, she, I mean,
1: all these years I'd known her and she's never told me anything until she saw me reading the book you know i find that
0: i find that uh if when i'm out there in the general public if you know the topic happens to come up and i say well i you know i do a show on ufos or whatever and or somehow that i bring it up or or whatever it is and you'd be surprised at how many people have seen something it seems like it's a pretty high percentage of our society (laughs) that says oh yeah i've saw something I couldn't explain, yes, you know. It's,
1: it's ab- you- absolutely true. I've, you know, I've just randomly had people talk to me um, that they've seen these objects just because I've shown an interest, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but they would kind of dismiss it and say, you know, I saw this thing, but, you know, I just couldn't accept it or they just dismissed it as just some unusual light and that was that, you know. Um, It's only when years later someone was talking about the subject and they said, you know what? I saw this thing and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it was just still to this day, it still kind of like disturbs them because it just doesn't quite figure with anything they've seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So and you also got into doing some because I know right away when the Ariel incident happened you were there with some type of homemade geiger counter type of thing right i mean you you got interested in that aspect of it
1: yeah i mean obviously before going to ariel i was helping cynthia with some of her investigations and Mm -hmm. i how i got involved with cynthia obviously i read her book and there was a a postal address which you could write letters to her and you know, if you had a case or wanted to know information, etc. So I wrote to her saying I had this device that might help with maybe some of your investigations. I'd made a device that picked up electrostatic fields. So if there's a object with a lot of electrical field or magnetic field, it could pick it up. So I thought maybe that might work. So she got interested and contacted me after that. And I made some devices which we gave her, which I gave her because there was a case she was investigating where someone was having like encounters in their house, like something was coming in their room at night mm. and so he took this person took uh, the device to his room to see if they had any reaction, but i can 't remember if there was a reaction or anything after that, or if he had another encounter, and mm-hmm. um, so I became. So Cynthia kind of like asked me if I'd be interested in getting involved, you know, being part of her team and get involved in helping investigations, etc. So I agreed and I used to help her like maybe take some photographs or bring some of the equipment along or just um you know, just come along for the investigation and just take in information or listening to the witnesses that um, she used to interview. And of course, every year she had, a. I think every quarterly or six months, depending on how much news, because she was part of MUFON, on uh, mm-hmm. investigator, she used to get information. And when she had enough information, she would bring in to us and do a presentation to a few members of the public, you know, maybe like half a dozen people were invited to her home and she would give a little talk and presentation of what she heard and listened to and information she got from MUFON from cases around the world. So that Mm -hmm. that time you have to remember we didn't have the internet. There was just maybe telephone or occasional uh, books and uh, letters from people, correspondence, that kind of thing. So things were kind of slower moving. So Cynthia kind of collected the information over the year and then did a presentation to a few people. And if she had big cases, she would go out and do presentations to the public um, maybe once every two years or so.
0: Now, when you you would go out with her on these cases, what was some of the earlier ones that you did? Did you do some prior to the Ariel incident?
1: There were some prior to the Ariel, I remember going to um, to a town to the I think it was Bindura, if I'm right, and we had an interesting case there because we had a young boy who was studying at night time, and he heard this clicking sound every couple of minutes outside his window because he was doing studying late at night.
2: Hmm.
1: So. He switched off the light because he was a bit puzzled about the sound that was coming outside because there's a road that went almost like a roundabout in his area and there's a school across the other side so he went out and he's there was a little bush or hedge and he was hiding it to look what was what was causing this clicking sound because he thought someone was coming along making funny noises and what what he encountered was absolutely, well, he was a kind of terrified because what he saw was a small being with some kind of rucksack, some kind of suit. And it had some kind of aerial coming out of the light and a, some kind of beeping sound emanating from this device. And around the whole creature, there was a rainbow pearl of light kind of effect around it, like almost some kind of field around this creature. And across the road, the security guard of the school witnessed the same thing. And we tried to get the security guard, but the security guard was terrified to come forward to tell us about it. Hmm. And the young boy described that it left kind of footmarks in the ground. They were like a pattern of five you know, because it was a dirt road. It wasn't tarred, so he could see the actual impressions in the ground. So he just drew an impression on the ground, of like five kind of footsteps,
0: you know? Wow. So, so like road. in a pattern of five, you're saying?
1: Yeah, you know, like if it's some kind of boot, I don't know, whatever the foot or if it had kind of footwear, if it was at the feet, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Created this five pattern print mm. on the ground. Yeah, yeah
2: But no, we yeah. didn't
1: actually see it because we only met the boy weeks afterwards, you know, because he wrote to
0: Cynthia, you know. Um, oh, I so, see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. Things go uh, so slowly that way, you know. Yeah, those I, days was it, very slow. Later. Later. Yeah. And
1: in Zimbabwe, it's, some of the cases are rural, so sometimes you get the information maybe weeks. Some of them are much older years, even, you know, depending.
0: At the time, how far away were you from where the Ariel School was? Yes. Ariel
1: School is about uh, twenty-two kilometers from the capital of Arare, where we were based, wow. uh, which is about fourteen miles roughly away. Yeah. So it's not too far
0: away. Right. Really close. And
1: yeah, so how Cynthia got to hear about it initially was Tim Leach. Uh, you may remember oh, yes. the BBC photographer, yeah. cameraman, uh,
0: got a picture. him. Yeah. he star. was a, a, a war photographer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: and um, mm-hmm. he found um, Cynthia. He found her, and he said, "Did you do you know there was uh, a, a landing at a school called Ariel?" just outside Harare and he had uh, spoken to the headmaster and and the kids had reported, well, some of the parents apparently phoned the BBC and that's how he got involved in that. Uh, so this was in the, on the 16th of September, 1994, he called Cynthia on Friday, late afternoon or early evening. And then after that, Cynthia phoned me to let me know because um, she arranged to go to the school, uh, the, you know, because it was a Friday and all the the school was closed for the weekend, so we only could get to the school in the, the following week, and we went on the Tuesday, the twentieth of September. Hmm. Um, yeah. So from there, we um, we proceeded to um, we went to the BBC, myself, Cynthia and she had two colleagues and one of them was her son. He helped her carrying some of the equipment that uh, we had there, yeah.
0: So what was it like walking? Let's let's just focus on that for a little while. Uh, So what was it like walking into the schoolyard and starting to hear some of, I don't know if she did all her interviews right there in front of you or some of them or what was all that like for you?
1: The initial well for me, I didn't know what to expect because
0: I've
1: I've heard of some encounters, but nothing like this. Yeah, so it was quite quite a new kind of uh, experience for me, for myself. So I didn't know what to expect really. And Cynthia was a little bit excited as well, and you know fascinated because she never had something this big on her doorstep, literally. Right. Um, so we were there with the bbc so tim was filming we went into the school and the headmaster had already had a few kids in in the office and they're on the table there there was a few of the images that the children had um drawn the previous day i believe so that they had it all fresh in memory so we wanted them we he actually asked him to sort the kids to sit individually and draw what they saw so when she came she could have a look through the images that they had um, created mm-hmm. obviously it was fascinating to see all the images a lot of them had very similar uh drawings of the craft between the trees
2: mm.
1: and some of them showed three craft, you know in the sky flying and there's even uh I think I saw two that mentioned that even on Thursday, the day before, there was something visible. So they showed a little drawing where they said, Thursday, we saw this object. And then on Friday, they had the main event. So there's actually, the event didn't actually only happen on the Friday, the 16th, but also on the Thursday, the 15th, there was a a sighting where some of the kids saw a cigar-shaped object Flying.
0: You know, this is a, a part of the story that I have never heard. Hmm. So that's that's really interesting. And I uh and then, you know, the other thing that I find really fascinating is some of the kids I have um and I believe I had I'm trying to think who I had, one of the kids that I had on um in Madagascar. What's his name? Um
1: Oh, I think I know Is it is it. It's not Francis. Yes, Francis. Uh, Francis
0: uh, was saying that he saw these like little orbs or something spinning around the object, which is yeah. quite fascinating. And I think a few yeah. other people saw something like that.
1: Yes, because what the kids were describing—they saw like, like I mentioned, the main object, and then they saw a few smaller objects um, flying with that. Yeah, and some of the kids were described it in a very interesting way how this object moved. And I can't... This is what made it more fascinating for me that when they saw the objects flying, some of the kids, they said the objects flew and then disappeared, reappeared, disappeared, reappeared somewhere else. So it wasn't like it was moving along. It kind of like appeared, disappeared, reappeared over here, disappeared and reappeared over here and then landed. And some of the kids said they were the main landing there and then it was another landing a little bit further up. So we went on the day when we went to talk to the kids and had the interviews, two kids, um, myself and Tim went with them and they were showing us the, um, the area where they thought the main landing was because a lot of the kids were on the edge of the field, because there's a boundary, they had put some logs yes. um, mm-hmm. between the rough savannah kind of grass going into bush, you know, yeah. tree shrubs in the background. Mm-hmm. And they said it landed somewhere just beyond the brush. And the kids were all standing by the logs, you know, excited seeing this object and seeing two creatures, beings appear from there. Some of the kids describe them uh, large heads with tight-fitting black suits, large oval eyes. And um, and some of them even describe the long hair. So I did a, a mock drawing at the time of, of that. And this is kind of what I had.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. How about that?
1: You this did exactly- that
0: at the time?
1: Yeah, at the time. In fact, uh, John, I gave this to John Mack. Yeah? Because he he put his notes here um, because he came in November and he put November, you know, from to Hofer, you know, description, yeah.
0: Were you actually there when John Mack was there? Yes. Oh, yeah, well, we that, had, was, that must we have had, been exciting to see that, him yeah, interview those kids.
1: Yeah, I remember when he came, he had interviewed... A couple of kids, one of them was Liesl, um, as you may know, a yeah. little girl who talked about the effect on the environment, et cetera, right. you know, when she yeah. was looking at the, the eyes of the creatures, because somehow Mac was able to get them to convey their feelings. you know.
2: Right. And
1: I think you know, no one was listening to their feelings. Everyone was just interested in what did you see? What did it look like? Yeah. The nuts and bolts kind of stuff, you know, right. but not going into the emotions and the experience, internal experiences the children were having at the time, you know,
0: and what it made them feel. So, yeah. he was so good at it too. You know, he'd scoot right down to their level and oh, yeah. make feel comfortable.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, he was really, really good at that.
1: Yeah, he was very gentle yeah you know, he didn't he didn't lead them. He just kind of asked them, what did you feel? what yes. you know, when they described the creature well, with the eyes looking at them, why did it were you scared? Um, you know, kind of like someone subconsciously bringing out the information that they kind of felt. it was very interesting why did they come out with this feeling of the environment, issues of environment, issues of technology you know, uh, being harmful to people, etc. you know?
0: Right. So, and, you know, and, uh, the thing, someone else pointed out to me that uh, after watching Randall Nickerson's movie um, that you were involved in as well, uh, they were said that, you know, there was never a message of how to fix anything, only that, you know, kind of like this is happening or this is to come type of thing. And not not offering anything other than this is here. You know, this is this is this could happen or is going to happen one way or the other or something. That's Which right. Is-
1: you know, it's hard to. I mean, even people always say, uh, "We are the we are the aliens." You know, they haven't landed on the White House lawn. You know, they don't hover over cities and announce themselves, etc. You know, um, because. Obviously with this whole disclosure program, people are looking for answers from government, you know, do, do you have craft hidden or do you have video footage and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you know, doesn't matter how good the video is, people will debunk them these days saying they are uh, CGI or it was manipulated or it was some government uh, secret program. And the only time people will believe it is you have the physical evidence here literally in front of them you know
0: right here's a here's an interesting question and i and i agree with any type of question of asking this do you happen to know if any of the children reported any type of you know odor uh when they're being disappeared
1: not as far as i'm aware of the only thing i've heard of is uh, people hearing a slight like a whistling sound.
0: Yes, yeah. that they heard. Like a flute.
1: Yeah, like yeah. a flute sound. Yes, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, and, yeah. And
1: because I, the, the the, Francis, I don't know if he mentioned to you that when I, he described also how the aliens moved was also blinking,
0: blinked in and they out.
1: Kept, yeah, yeah, they almost like the craft. How the craft came, the aliens were moving, not like how we move. They just kind of like appeared, disappeared, and then appeared over here. You know, it's almost like their motion is different to how we move, you know, and or the very, technology they're using to move is
2: different. You know? Yeah.
0: Or, or, uh, yeah, I mean, we may not be able to understand how they do anything. And another thing is, uh, you know when when you talk about the blinking in and out i can't help but think of could this be an interdimensional type of situation you know i mean nothing's taken off the table when it comes to uh something i always
1: i always hold my hands up and yeah and i say i don't know
0: that's I, the best I really, thing I really
1: i really don't know how they yeah. do it how yeah. it's done you can only imagine um you know, someone from the Stone Age looking at us today, driving in a car and that person yeah. trying to describe it to his people in yeah. whatever language they would have in the Stone Age, they wouldn't believe him, you know. It would be too fanciful, you know.
0: Or flying in a plane or jet or yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, those are the gods flying up there, you know, so yeah. thunder and lightning, you know, it so was a jet flying past, you know,
0: that kind of thing. That's right. So,
1: they use the language of the time, and we are doing the same. We can only describe it with the, the knowledge, the physics and the science we understand currently. You know That's Obviously, right. there's new physics and new technologies that we don't know what's going to be in the next hundred thousand billion years. you know, if there's a civilization a billion years ahead of us, their technology would be purely magic to us.
0: right and also the way of thinking we always try to you know use our terms of thought but we have absolutely no idea what type of thought you know whether uh we'd only be guessing you know i mean and that would be like right now if you if we went and visited a life on another planet you know in another galaxy or a part of our galaxy but you know thousands of light years away or whatever and we landed on their planet we would have no idea how they think unless we you know we could observe them and try to figure it out but um you know i mean uh i i hope i hope this we're not uh, you know all the living beings out there aren't warring and tribal yeah you know (laughs) we pray i mean maybe um they're so far ahead of us that they
1: just look at us like ants you know like yeah, we we just walk about. We don't see the ants as a threat whatsoever. Yeah, until until there's so many of them, and then we kind of stamp our legs and crush a few of them, you know,
0: Uh-oh. because
1: they get in the way, you
0: know. And yeah. then there's a
1: the problem. Then you the ants all get agitated. So, you know, the gods got angry and crushed us, you know. Yeah, that kind of thing. I hope uh, that. <laughs> yeah, I don't hope we don't uh, agitate them. Maybe we are. Who knows? Um, yeah, but, I mean,
0: uh, yeah. when it comes to nuclear warheads and things like that. Um,
1: yeah, it seems interesting they're going, uh, when I hear about the reports of um, these UFO encounters near silos, nuclear yeah. facilities, etc. Um, like, they're deliberately keeping an eye on them. Like, uh, are these objects, you know, are these weapons safe. They're not, you know, rusting and about to explode or something. Like, they're just deliberately taking um, stock of what's going on um, because they can't have the experiment contaminated, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Now, when you were doing the research with uh, Cynthia Hines, um, I'm going to pop this question up from uh, someone in chat. Uh, Jim wanted to know, do you know anything about the other witnesses who saw the beings off the school grounds did she do any of that type of research as well
1: well she she had conversations with some people who described seeing, I think in the evening of the on that Friday if I'm right someone was driving um, on the road near Rua there by the school and they crashed because they saw they described like um, dead people walking towards him on the road,
2: Hmm.
1: which is, you know, the big head and the eyes, you know, so they described like a look like a skull, you know, because of the big head and the eyes. So he crashed and he the person was unconscious for some time. We don't know how long. Wow. And then they, they, um, they went back. So that was one of the reports, um, I believe. Maybe one of the teachers said they saw a light, you know, mm-hmm. as well over some of the areas because we never had any adults seeing the craft at the school because at the time the staff were all in a meeting while the kids were out playing. And the only adult on the ground was the lady who was manning the tuck shop, which is a little shop where kids buy some sweets and biscuits and drinks and things like that. And some of the older kids ran over to say, Miss, Miss, you know, there's, you know, there's something going on down here. You have to come see. And she just ignored them and said, oh, no, you guys are just pulling my leg, you know, that kind of thing. So well, supposedly
0: go, uh, one of the teachers came forward um, a few years ago and said that she actually did did see it. Did you ever hear about this? Was This was a few years ago.
1: No, I didn't. Yeah. Well, maybe because now I'm here, I don't get the opportunity to to speak oh, to them. In you know?
0: England. Yeah. yeah, that's true.
1: So I'm a kind of like a bit out of touch with the event since I left Zimbabwe in that respect, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long have you been away from there? I've left Zimbabwe
1: in 2001. That's when I left Zimbabwe. So I've been yeah. here a while now, 22 years now.
0: Yeah. And... How many times did you go to the school after the incident?
1: I went there at least twice. I went after the initial investigation where Cynthia and the BBC were there. I went out with a work colleague to do just a few, I think it was maybe a few days after, because I just, there was just so much activity with distractions. I never had the time to really scan the ground without the you know people calling me and doing this and we had such limited time After, you know after interviewing the kids and seeing a little bit of the grounds mm-hmm. um, that were allowed i managed to go there on a weekend on a saturday to just look over the places where the kids said they saw the other craft land because where the main craft landed between the near the trees the ground was very hard. So I couldn't see any impression there. But then the other kids said they saw something land more to the left in the grass. So mm-hmm. I went down that way. And I did find two oval impressions, one large one and one smaller one. Wow, um, which I, I made a crude map at the time to help me. So here's the school up here. And then down here...
0: Hang on, just a minute. Let me uh, do this. There you go. Okay.
1: So this is the school up here where the kids were observing the main craft over here in red. We are marked in red here. Mm-hmm. And then I went to walk down to find out where the other kids said they saw some other craft. And I found these oval, two oval impressions. One low, large oval which crossed the path and a smaller one next to it. And the grass the savannah grass was kind of flattened in a, I think, a clockwise um, mm. manner,
0: you know. Like there was some type of rotation, possibly?
1: Yeah, some. it fe- seemed like there could have been some kind of rotation or whatever caused it to rotate in that manner, you know. Yeah. And I did and- find some impressions there in the ground. I found a wedge, a wedge shape, triangular shape impression in the ground, which is about 15 centimeters long, roughly, I would say. So
0: you, it could have been landing gear, possibly? Possibly.
2: Yeah. Possibly. Hmm.
0: And uh, here's a, uh, oh, yes. Did you take any readings from those impressions?
1: I did take some uh, readings. I had a, a homemade Geiger counter. Because
0: mm-hmm. uh, at the time in Zimbabwe,
1: getting access to Geiger counters was really difficult. I went to the university to find out if they had a Geiger counter, which they did, but it was non-functional; it wasn't working. <laughs> so um, I had built a um, my own Geiger counter. You know, from I think there was a, a Radio Shack diagram okay. in a magazine of uh, a homemade Geiger counter you could build, which I did build, and uh, I took it to the school, but I don't think my Geiger counter was sensitive enough if there was something slightly above average uh, reading in the environment. So I didn't actually read anything uh, abnormal. I also Mm -hmm. brought along a metal detector And my electrostatic detector as well, just in case there was something else. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. We did take uh, I did take soil samples from the ovals that I discovered, but and gave them to Cynthia to have them analyzed. Uh, there wasn't anything unusual about the soil samples from what
0: I gathered. Hmm. So how far away? Um, would you say the ovals were from where the kids actually had their encounter with the beams? I know Selma Siddick, for one, was only four feet or so away from one of the beams.
1: Yes, I remember describing it literally in front of her. Um, the, the craft that I, or the landing marks I just discovered later when I had the time to you know explore the, explore the field area, were probably... 200 meters further away, to the to the left, from the main experience, which was more to the right.
0: Uh-huh. Now, uh huh. Now, just this just occurred to me. Are you going to be involved in any of the uh, the screenings that are happening? In there's one in DC coming up, and one in New York of the aerial school phenomenon film. Are you going to be involved in any of those? Yes, I'll be going to uh, the one in DC. And what's if the date we- on that?
1: I believe it's the, if I'm right, the 3rd of May.
0: May. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, I remembered something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that, that should be interesting. There's a few of yeah. those going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's the
1: 3rd of May. That's correct.
0: And I should say, before we move on from that, um, did you think the movie was as beautiful as I thought it was? Beautifully. Oh, yeah. beautiful?
1: It was uh, it was very emotional, you know, because yes. uh, it just brought back a lot of memories. I bet of, of of what happened and the people involved. You know, sadly Cynthia and Tim are not around anymore, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah, Tim I know. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean,
1: but- I mean, I can tell you some interesting things that Tim while well, Tim was involved in it initially um he he was obviously doing the you know, film he need to send back to the BBC in London at the time. Yeah. And in those days everything was kind of tape couriered to the UK, you know. Yeah. And usually yeah. went I think it went via Johannesburg. And I phoned him up once to find out about uh, about the tape. And he said, Oh yes, the tape and he talked about he had some encounters well, with agencies with three letters, shall I say, that mm-hmm. uh, were interfering with the tape.
0: Really? It, it did did the tape make it?
1: Yes, it did make it to the BBC. But he, he, Because I'll tell you what, Tim and I and the two kids that were showing us, this is um, Guy and Farai here. They were taking us around. Mm-hmm. And while we were talking to them and they were pointing out, we saw, interestingly, a very bright light on huh? a, a hill at the back. And it was it, initially we just thought maybe it's just uh, a reflection of um, the zinc roofing, you know. The metal roofing that some of the little houses that some of the people local people build their homes with you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in zimbabwe and it was just we thought it was just reflection of the sunlight and when i went back to look at the grounds more carefully there was actually nothing there you know there was absolutely nothing there to indicate that there was something that would cause that light to be shining. That day we were there. Ah, oh. so Cynthia and I used to make a joke that oh, you know they were watching us or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, I, I asked him about it. Did he catch it on tape? And he said to me he got it on tape, but that part of the tape disappeared. You know, showing that that light. Huh. So um, so uh, yeah. So I asked. Um, i was asking a favor from a journalist locally if he could track the original tape that was sent to the bbc hoping that maybe we could could find something out you know
2: hmm.
1: but yeah there are some interesting things happening with tim and he got very intrigued about the whole incident you know he just he was a bit like he just said to me just be careful
0: didn't he basically say that it was a career ender, something like that? I not He
1: didn't say that to me. Um, maybe you're saying it to other people, but uh, I know it generally at the time, you know, just with Cynthia and her investigations, a lot of people would only come to her privately, like, let's say, pilots. They would always be anonymous. They would never want to be named in her reports, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because well, of the stigma.
0: Now, I know there was, uh, you know, there was, um, I don't know if you want to call it debunkers, or, but they were talking about, um, you know, something that entered the atmosphere, and, you know, it had to be this, had to be that. But there was a lot of things going on within uh, several days. That's
1: right. Well, if I can just rehash um, on some of the events, like, On Wednesday, the 14th of September, there was what you described as a pyrotechnic display in the sky of Zimbabwe. It was actually going over Zambia, Zimbabwe, maybe all the way down to Botswana. It was going all the way from the north to the south. Mm. And the light, um, people describe it as. Like a very large object in front, and lots of smaller objects behind it, and there's a long flame you know flame like trail behind the sparkling trail behind us. so yeah. people assumed it was maybe um yeah, there were reports of oh it's a plane falling down you know on fire um the, or it was um meteorite shower, you know, meteorite shower of some sort, you know, maybe a piece of meteor came in, broke up, and the main body and pieces of the meteor were flying. And then we had, um, Cynthia believed it might have been a Soviet rocket launch and the nose cone had been ejected and came through the atmosphere a few days later, apparently, Mm -hmm. causing, causing this event. But that's all I know about that and Mm -hmm. then of course after that it was widely reported in the newspaper and the tv at the time and uh, then i like i mentioned on the thursday the kids then saw the cigar shaped object flying Mm -hmm. by the school you know with a blinking red light of some sort and then friday was the main event where when all the kids were out. They saw the object coming down to
0: land. Yeah. Um, here's a, a question that I don't know the answer to. Did anyone actually see the craft or crafts (plural) land leave?
1: I remember Tim Leach was interviewing some of the kids, and he asked them, "Where did it go? How did it go?" You know, and the kid said, "It just." Lifted off the <clears throat> excuse me, lifted off the ground a little bit and just went, and he said, went where you know did it just go over there or whatever and they were kind of like finally difficult to describe how it went, and even Tim, I didn't think caught on to the subtleties of that when I watched that, and it's almost like they were saying it just disappeared just. You know, they just say it just went, you know, didn't, they didn't say it flew off over there or over that way. It just went. In other words, it disappeared. Just lifted yeah. up and
0: disappeared. Isn't that, that's crazy. Um, let's see, this is, uh. I usually ask people to put their questions in caps, but I happen to catch this one. Has anyone traveled through rural Africa looking for similar sightings that may not have been talked about outside of their local areas? Cynthia do that because she was so involved in writing that book?
1: Yes, um, she had, obviously she wrote this book and the one, this one here, she was actually finishing this book, the second book, UFOs of Africa, and just when she was finishing it, the aerial event happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a case called, uh, if I remember right, it's La Rochelle. It's a town in the eastern highlands of Zimbabwe. And there's like a missionary retreat area there. Very beautiful. And uh, some of the local people who worked around the mission saw this ball of fire rolling across the lawn of this place. Hmm. A large ball. And this boar rolled up the tower, went into the room up at the top of the tower, burst into flames, reconstituted, rolled down, and then it opened up and there was, uh, if I remember, a being standing there. And one of the people ran up to say, oh, you know. What's going on? You know, it's confused. And when the beam turned round, he thought it was one of the um, the managers standing there. But it wasn't the manager, because when this person turned round to face him, there was this bright light coming from his head like a torch, you know, extremely bright. It was so bright that he fell to the ground and looked down. And when he looked up again, this beam was gone.
0: You know, Jeez. That's a crazy one. I love crazy ones like that. It, it,
1: that was just bizarre, actually. You know, this ball of light rolling up yeah. the building wall, but it didn't actually scorch or burn anything. You know. Hmm. Um, and then we had what other cases? There's an interesting case in one of Cynthia's older ones, which is the Peter and Francis uh, trip. South Africa that was in still in the 70s they were driving from Harare all the way to South Africa and on their trip they encountered a UFO they saw a UFO and during that time the you know they saw it several times actually when they passed they put fuel in the car And as they left this town, the UFO came back and they were always looking out the window in fear. What was going on? Hmm. And they felt they had this feeling that something happened to them. They couldn't explain like they had some kind of missing time. Oh, so um, and when they got to the border to South Africa and they decided to put some petrol in the car, the car was full. The fuel they filled in hundreds of kilometers was still in there, so they had like hardly moved. So they couldn't understand why, why that happened. Jeez. So in Saratoga, where they were staying, Cynthia got them to. She asked for if they could have a hypnotist regress them to find out what happened. And now the hypnotist was a total skeptic. They didn't, you know, it wasn't like a ufo investigator hypnotist like was just a normal hypnotist and um, when they took them back to the event they described their car being taken up into the craft and somehow they were putting some kind of simulator to simulate the environment around them so but the environment looked a bit too lush like almost Uh, jungle, wet, looked a bit strange to what they expected. So they were kind of like, I don't know, um, they were like test subjects, if I may put it that way. But so they asked them, what did they want from you? Why did they do this? They said they were wanting to find out about a, a UFO case he encountered years ago. So this person who was telling Cynthia about this case, the UFO was actually trying to find out about a case they were involved in years ago, hmm. of a and so they asked, "Did you see a UFO at that time?" And he said, "Yes, when he was younger, he was driving around a corner and there was a UFO hovering above the road, and he and he put on the brakes, and then the UFO shot off, but it embedded some kind of." Material in his car when it shot off, you know, like wow. marked his car. So somehow these, wherever these creatures are, were kind of interested in this other UFO they he encountered. So the invest, the hypnotist asked, how do they travel? Things like that, and they said um, they don't travel like linearly; they travel in time,
0: you know. Um, yeah, there's some type of time thing going it's almost on, it's almost
1: like time for them is a destination to get to they say they like go back in time then forward in time so they use time like to get to something closer they go back in time
0: or it seems like it seems up uh, it seems like i'm hearing more and more things like that for mm-hmm. um you know and and different people i talk to uh, a couple of things I, I can't believe where i know you're it's very early in the morning for you there, so we're not going to be going longer than just a few more minutes here. But um, someone wanted to know if any of Cynthia's books are available in North America. Would you know that? Uh, I know you live in England. So.
1: I have seen some of her UFOs over Africa out in um, on Amazon, I believe.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. But
1: uh, this book is extremely uh, rare.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, I do have a couple of them, but um, it's I just keep them as,
0: like, gold, basically. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, I like this question here because I I don't think I've ever asked this of anyone I've interviewed of any of the kids, but have any of them ever reported uh, further encounters later on in life that you're aware of? No, I haven't
1: heard of any of the kids telling me that.
0: I yeah. mean, at
1: least I know one... Of the children who lives in the UK, Lisa. Lisa, uh, she's in the UK, yeah. so but I haven't managed to speak to her directly yet. I know sometimes I like to keep them in their personal environment because sometimes they get hounded by people if they yes. get to know them. So I don't want to interfere, but I'll probably once I get comfortable with me I might be able to speak to them because I remember speaking to Francis he agreed to speak to me and he wanted to I asked him if he would be willing to speak on a program which he said yes at first but then he he didn't didn't want to be involved later on he just found it overwhelming you know yes
0: yeah I've had uh, I had Francis on once and then um, try to get him back again. And, yeah, he does go through those phases mm-hmm. where it is overwhelming for him. So yeah. we're at the end already. I can't believe how quickly that went with you. I and I like invite you to come back again at another time, if you would.
1: No, that would be a pleasure, Martin, definitely.
0: Yes. Thanks so much. No problem. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. All right, everyone. So we'll be back next week. With Mike Clellan. That should be a fun, uh, funner interview with him. He's been on before. And uh, I guess that's about it. We'll see you next week. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.